1: Because as long as we refuse to acknowledge and glorify God in the presence of our culture, in the presence of our country, America can't be great again. God will allow us to suffer so that we will be wooed back into his presence. Trump, Palin, Duck Dynasty guy, it doesn't matter who's endorsing who. It just doesn't matter because God needs to be exalted. And he one day will rule and reign forever. And that's what my heart is looking forward to. You can take this world. Just give me Jesus, as the song says, right? So this brings us to the posture of praise. And I think that when we see this glimpse, we catch this glimpse of the throne room, right? We have to understand the motivation behind these hearts that are falling down in worship. Verse 16, the 24 elders who represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the first church. These are representative of everyone who has come to a saving faith in Christ, What they do when this trumpet sounds and this loud voice booms that the kingdom now belongs to God and to his Christ, they who usually sit before God, they fall on their faces and they worship God. When they realize what God is doing and reclaiming what was forfeited, their only option is to fall on their face in worship of God. You see, here's the thing, my friends, is in this life, we can become so distracted with our circumstances that we lose sight of the only one who can really rescue us from the tragedy that we create in our lives. And that's why we begin our service with worship. Because our hope is that when we come together and we sing these songs and we lift high the name of Jesus that all of the distractions and all of the cares of your life that you came through those doors with will be left at the foot of the cross so you can truly come into his presence and see him for who he is and what he wants to do in your life. To not be distracted, but to see him wholly and perfectly and completely. I wonder this morning, were you distracted in worship? Was there something playing in the back of your head that you just couldn't get rid of? Because God wants to deliver you from that this morning. He wants to be the only thing that you see when you close your eyes. He wants to be the last thing you think of as you slip off into slumber when you lay your head on the pillow at night. He wants to be the first thing that's on the tip of your tongue when you rise up in the morning. He wants to bring you to this place of a posture of prayer. We see this played out perfectly in the life of a sinful woman in Luke chapter 7. Let me read this to you briefly, parts of this. The simple woman is a euphemism basically for a prostitute. A prostitute hears of the fact that Jesus has come. And if you put a harmony of the Gospels together, she's just heard it presented that if anyone is weary and heavy laden, that they can come to Jesus and they can place all of that weariness and all of that heaviness on him and he's going to give them an easy and a light yoke and that you can walk with him in grace. And so she hears this amazing invitation, and she shows up when she hears he's around. And she comes into the midst of a religious leaders meeting. There's Pharisees and scribes in this place, people who would have despised this woman. And she doesn't allow that to deter her. And she elbows her way through the crowd and she finds herself at the feet of Jesus and she falls on her face and worship before Jesus and she's weeping and broken over the forgiveness that is in his tone. Over the forgiveness that is being offered to her. She thought there was no way. She thought she'd been too dirty. She was too unclean. There's no way anyone could possibly love a woman like her. She hears this traveling rabbi by the name of Jesus say, you too can be forgiven. And so she falls on her face at his feet and she's weeping and she begins to wipe the tears off of his feet with her hair. And she's brought with her this Alabaster flask of oil, fragrant oil, the scripture says. This was her life savings. She invested in this oil. Everything that she had earned from her lifestyle of sin and debauchery, she is brought to Jesus and she begins to pour this out on his feet. She's emptying herself of everything she owns in worship before the feet of Jesus. And the scripture says that the religious leader who had invited Jesus to the house He reasons within his mind thinking if Jesus knew how sinful this woman was, there's no way that he would allow her to touch him. But Jesus knows the thoughts and the hearts. You understand that, don't you? So he says, Simon, let me ask you a question. There's a man who's owed 50 denarii and 500 denarii. By two of his servants. But they have no way to repay him. The debt is too big. They just cannot make this payment. A denarii is a day's wage. So one guy owes 50 days worth of wages. The other guy owns 5,000 days wages. There's no way they can repay, right? He says, which one do you think loved him more after they were forgiven both debts? Who loved the master more? The one who was forgiven 50? Or the one who was forgiven 5000 who who loves more he says why i I suppose it's the one who's been forgiven more and jesus says you're exactly right this woman who you call a sinner she understands forgiveness but you you religious leaders you don't get it i came into my home and you didn't offer me a kiss but this woman is kissing my feet You didn't wash my feet, but she's washing my feet with the tears and wiping them with the hair. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's pouring out her life savings upon my feet because this woman who knows that she's been forgiven, because she's been forgiven much, the same also loves much, and it has brought her to a place of brokenness and worship and a posture of praise. My friends, do you understand all that you've been forgiven? Because when you understand all that you've been forgiven, just like these 24 elders, they're falling on their faces in worship before God. It doesn't matter who sees. It doesn't matter who's watching. It doesn't matter what the person next to you thinks. All that matters is that I know that I've been forgiven so much, and all I can do is fall on my face and worship a God who loves me that much. The person who understands how much they've been forgiven is the person who will love to the point of praise. Do you love Jesus to the point of praise this morning? If you don't, why not? What is it that you don't understand? Have you emptied your alabaster flask? Have you fallen on your face like these elders, like these 24 who represent the entire church? Have you falled on your face like them and said, Jesus, you have forgiven so much. You are a good, good God. And I have no choice but to offer to you my worship and my praise. So we see this posture of praise come forth, but there's a reason why. This is our next point the heart of thanks. And I truly believe that somewhere deep down inside of us the more thankfulness we have within our hearts the more clear the picture we have of Jesus. If you find yourself complaining over and over and over again about the same things, rather than thanking God and blessing the Lord and crying out, saying, God, I am not worthy. God, I don't deserve what you've given me. God, why me? Why have you been so good and so kind and so loving to me? If that's not your heart, it's because you don't see the glimpse and you haven't caught the true glimpse of the glory of Jesus just yet. You see, there's this idea of thankfulness that has to come forth in our lives, We have to bring our thanks before the Lord. The scripture says this in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, that we should give thanks to the Lord for he is good. How many of you could testify that God has been good to you? Now, here's the thing. Amen. You You can't allow the enemy to rip you off. The scripture says that all things work together for the what? For the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That the nature of God at the very essence, the core of who God is, God is good. Even in the midst of him pouring out his wrath, like we're going to see the core of who God is, God is good. And that should cause us to give praise and to give thanks. He doesn't want to see his children suffer needlessly. There's a purpose behind every every single bowl of wrath that's going to be poured out every trumpet that is sounded, every seal that is broken. The reason is because God is wooing you to him because God is good. The scripture says that we should come to him, Psalm 95. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms for the Lord our God is a great God, the king above all gods. That's who we serve. That's why we sing that we should worship him with thanksgiving with songs Don't show up late for worship. What do you think that communicates to God? Now, I'm not trying to point my fingers or wag my finger at anybody. I know things happen, and I I know things go on, and it's difficult to get kids ready, and kids are like, it's like there's little demons inside your babies when you're trying to make it to church. (laughs) I've been there, I understand it. But if you're habitually late every single week, you're missing worship, start waking up earlier. It's not that difficult. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out, right? If you're waking up at 8 and you're 30 minutes late, wake up at 7.30. Do the math. Don't miss out on the opportunity that you have to come into the presence of God with thanksgiving and with song and to raise your voice. That is why I'm so thankful for those who work so passionately to lead you into God's presence. They practice And they rehearse. But it's more than practice and rehearsing. They're doing this because they don't want to stumble any of you. They don't want to grieve God's spirit. They don't want to quench the spirit by doing something wrong on stage. They want their hearts to be right. And they want the music to be right. But most of all, they just want to be in the presence of God. Because if they are there, they believe you will follow them into God's presence. Amen. Amen. (laughs) One last little nugget here about our heart of thanks and this is probably the most difficult one that you'll have so i'm going to apologize in advance that this is what the scripture says don't get angry with me god's word is god's word but this is what it says in first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18 it says in everything give thanks for this is the will of god in christ jesus in every trial in every heartache In every struggle. And every time your bank account is a little bit short. And every time the kids are coughing. And every time you're up in the middle of the night. And every time you're worried about your job or your employment. It says in everything give thanks. What is all of this in this life compared to what God has forgiven us of? You see when we're not thankful. The circumstances of this life have distracted us from the goodness of the cross. We wouldn't stop giving thanks if we always remembered the sacrifice that Jesus made in our place. These elders, they understood this. They fall on their faces. It says, we give you thanks. Verse 17, we give you thanks. The first words out of their mouths. We give you thanks. We are so thankful We get to see you. They see God on the throne. They see Jesus in his glorified state. And the first words out of their mouth once that trumpet is sounded is we give thanks. Our hearts are filled with gratitude. O Lord God Almighty... The God who provides, that's what the word almighty means. The one who provides, the one who is and who was and who is to come because you have taken your great power and you have reigned. Now in verse 18, what we're going to learn by this glimpse into God's throne room is that each and every single one of us have a burden of choice. And I'm sorry, but there is no way around this. Every single one of us has a burden of choice. God will not force himself upon you. God will not force you to be saved when you do not want to be saved. God will not force you to experience forgiveness if you don't want to experience forgiveness. Notice what it says here in verse 18. It says, The nations were angry. God begins to pour out his wrath, he's been pouring out his wrath, and it's coming to this point of crescendo, it's been building to this place in history, and the nations are angry, they're walking further and further away from God, God's pouring out his wrath saying, please come to me in my goodness. Please understand that this is the consequence, the wages of sin. Please understand that this is the result of living a life apart and separated from me. But he says, come, and the nations just get angry. Their choice is to become angry. So my friends, first and foremost, you have to choose your response. When difficulties come into your life, how do you choose to respond? Because the way I see it, there are two types of people, right? Now, this is kind of how the world says it. You're either a glass half full or you're a glass half what? Empty, right? An optimist or a pessimist, right? That's kind of the way the world puts it. But when we look at the story of Job, and we're going to get a little deeper into the story of Job next week. But when we look at the story of Job, Job experienced tremendous loss in his life. He was wealthy, wealthier than any man in the region, He had camels and sheep and oxen and servants. And he had a lot of them. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was living large. This guy had need of nothing. He had it all. But in a moment, in one day, his oxen taken. His sheep consumed with fire. His camels taken by raiders. He's lost it all. His oxen, his sheep, his camels, his servants, even his children, a tornado or some huge gulf of wind comes and collapses the roof where his children are having a party and all of his children taken from him. Just like that. He has lost everything. But do you know what that caused him to do? Do you know what his response was? This is what the scripture says. It says in Job chapter 1, Then Job rose, he rose up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. It led him to a place of worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'll return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord is taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. And in all of this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. His response was blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It doesn't change who God is. He's still worthy to be praised. Now his wife is a different story. In Job chapter two, Job is covered with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. It's like blisters. So bad it is that he's sitting in ashes and he's scraping the blisters, the boils with pieces of glass and pottery. Trying to pop these boils because they're so painful. He's scraping his skin to rid himself of these boils. And his wife comes to him, the encourager that she was, <laughs> and she says to him, Why don't you just curse God and die? And this is what Job responds to her. He says, Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not also accept adversity? And in all of this, Job did not speak out against God. He didn't sin with his lips. See, there are two types of people in this world, and you have to choose how you respond to adversity, how you respond to those moments and those trials in your life. You're either going to be like Job, blessed be the name of the Lord, or you're going to be like Job's wife, curse God and die. The choice is yours. And the way you choose is going to have a profound impact on not only your life, but the life of the people around you that you love the most. So not only do you have to choose your response, but you also have a burden of choice, and it's going to change the judgment that you participate in. See, there are two judgments that the Scripture speaks of. The first is a judgment of wrath. And here's the thing is you don't have to experience wrath. You can choose to be exempt from that wrath because Jesus already accepted the totality of that wrath on the cross. The scripture says that in the hand of the Lord, there's a cup. It's a cup of God's fury. It's a cup of God's wrath. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is struggling. He's sweating drops of blood, and he's struggling with God, and he's praying over and over and over again, Father, if it's possible, please take this cup from before me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That cup of God's wrath that we deserved is staring Jesus in the face. And he's saying, God, please, if there's another way, let's choose that way. Nevertheless, if the only way for my friends to be saved is for me to drink that cup of wrath so they don't have to drink that wrath, I will gladly drink it. There on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? And in that moment, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, the Son, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be found righteous in the eyes of God. He experienced, he became sin on the cross. He experienced that wrath so that you could choose to forego that wrath. He took that wrath in your place. The choice is, are you gonna try to drink the cup or are you gonna allow Jesus to drink it in your place? Pastor Jerry was over at our house a couple of weekends ago and we had a little barbecue and the kids were riding motorcycles and quads and stuff. And we started a fire in this little chimney thing that's in the courtyard area. And his son Caleb was watching that fire, and he wanted to get close to that fire. And they kept telling him, no, you're too close. Back away. And finally, he walks up to that little chimney. He reaches out. He touches that piece of metal, and guess what happens? Immediately. Listen to me, God is telling you, you do not have to taste that wrath. You do not have to touch that fire. But the choice is still yours whether or not you reach out to touch it. God wants you to be spared. He doesn't want you to experience that pain Now, the scripture talks about two judgments, and one one is found in Revelation 20, and we'll get there eventually. It's called the great white throne judgment, and this is where all of those who have rejected Christ will be judged according to their works. Listen to what Obadiah verse 15 says. It says, for the day of the Lord is upon the nations, it's coming near. As you have done, so shall it be done to you. And in the great white throne judgment, we're going to be judged based upon our works, upon our deeds, And it's like a scale. But every single one, every single person will be found lacking in that day because we cannot make up for the sin that we brought into our lives. And so those people will be sentenced to an eternity, separated from God because they chose not to let Jesus drink the wrath. But there's a second judgment. And it's called the Bema Seat. So you have the choice of wrath or you have the choice of reward. And when I think about that, that's an easy decision for me. How many of you would choose wrath over reward? If so, there's something wrong with you. You're a masochist. You need help. Here's a choice laid out. You can choose wrath or you can choose reward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul wrote about this and he says, for in that day, each one's works will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test of what sort each one's work is. That God is gonna try all of our works and he's gonna be able to see by that fire It's going to be refined in the fire, and we're either going to receive reward or we'll suffer loss based upon the motives of why we do things, why we give of that time, why we we give to that charity, why we give to that work. Those things cannot save us, but if our heart is right behind those things, we can receive reward for those. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single person will be judged. That each one may receive the things which he has done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That word bad means worthless. Every single one of us will be judged. It's your choice whether or not you're judged at the great white throne judgment and you you receive wrath, or you're judged at the Bema seat, the reward seat, where you receive rewards for what you've done with a pure heart. I want to be at the Bema seat. I don't want to be anywhere near the great white throne judgment. And I hope you'll join me at the proper seat.
0: Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.ccciv.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.